In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. It's a defensive end special, and I'm here with Jack and Ian. And yes, I'm back on my own podcast. I think this is the hat trick, three in a row, so I'm super excited. I, I wish we could get odds. I, I, I'd be betting on you to miss this show, uh, <laughs> and I'd have lost some money. Three in a row. As they said in Major League, that's known as a winning streak. Well, we all know how important the defensive edge are. Before we start the podcast, Jack, how do you rate the position room defensive end? Is it number two behind the quarterback? I, I, I think if we just said defensive line, we, we've got Miles Garrett and nothing. And that's the genuine story. There is nothing in this room that is redeeming, mildly exciting. It is, it's the worst position room for the Browns. And the the defensive line, and I, I I think you can make the case at wide receiver that you've got Donovan Peoples Jones that can do some stuff. You've got um, Schwartz. Um, you can at least sort of upsell some young talent there. You've got Miles and nothing, and the Browns carry eight dudes on the defensive line the last two years, and they are bare. All right, great. Well, yeah, I think then- the analogy is the cupboard's bare. Well, let's start off with the one player that we have got, Miles Garrett. Phenomenal. He's an absolute phenom. Um, he is 100% tied to the Browns for the next two years. Um, can't be traded, can't be moved. Then after that, he's, the team have three option years on him. So they've got complete control based on whatever happens. Um, obviously, over that time, you know, you can move him on. Who knows? I can't see it ever happening. But what they'd probably do is leverage that in. So do next two years. And then potentially with two... Th- years left on his deal, they'll then leverage him to do another deal um, because you've got a lot of power as a team. If the player has no real control for three years, the guarantees are gone. Obviously, Miles isn't going to be worried about being a free agent, but doing a deal earlier gives him more security and long-term money because who knows, injuries happen and careers can quickly grind a lot slower. So getting more money is an option. Um, and, and the other thing, Craziest stuff can happen. If you end up drafting a dude this year in, say, pick 13, which we'll touch on later, and then next year you draft a dude in, say, the third round, and they both turn out to be incredible, by the end of that deal, you could talk about a 30-year-old Garrett. And if you've got the next Miles Garrett, who knows, and you've got another guy that is a fantastic, phenomenal player, you could be sat there with two 24-year-olds and a 30-year-old Miles Garrett Two first-round picks for a 30-year-old. I doubt they'll hit on two phenomenal edges, but that sort of stuff can happen. Um, and if they hit, then why not cash in? Ian, Jack never really answered my question, but do you feel that defensive end is the position room number one behind quarterbacks? Yeah, the defensive edge is... I should say the D-line is the quarterback of the defense. 
it has the single most ability, and I say edge rushers. So we'll just say DNs, edge rushers. Obviously, some teams create pressure in a 4-3 from the outside ends. Some people will modify into a 3-4, like the Steelers, where you're getting edge from say or getting pressure from, say, like TJ Watt, who technically is an outside linebacker edge rusher. Some guys then move those guys inside because there's only one Aaron Donald. So let's not pretend that the D tackle position is unique. Um, there's one of him and then there's the rest. Some people will create pressure from the inside. The Browns, to Jack's point, have eight, have eight guys on the roster in those positions, and we have one written in pen, and that's Miles Garrett. Now, is he arguably one of the top ends in the league? Yes. The problem is, is if you have nobody else, I don't care how much first-round talent you have in cornerback, safety, your guys won't be able to hold up for five and six seconds. I mean, look what Patrick Mahomes does when he has that much time. Look what Ben Roethlisberger used to do with that much time. You need to get the quarterback off of his spot. And the only way to do it is with pass rush, pass rush and pass rush. So the biggest impact you can have to a defense is to pressure the quarterback. And right now the Browns have Miles Garrett and a bunch of just no names. So is there anyone on the, on the end of the roster or leaving the building a couple of weeks ago that we could potentially rehire Jack? Yeah. So the obvious name is Clowney who. If you ask fans, and I, I did a poll earlier in the offseason, they're absolutely in love with him, but his play was nothing special. It was quite good for the first seven games, and then it really pretty much dried up. And he ended up the 51st edge out of 109 for PFF. Um, and that's because, yeah, he got some sort of early sacks and some stuff, um, some pressures, but we didn't see that consistently. And they will do a lot of grading on not all sacks are equal. Not all pressures are equal. If Miles Garrett does some amazing stuff and someone runs into Clowney, they're not going to credit Clowney as highly as, oh, all sacks are the same. So it's about going beyond the box score. Did he produce to a level of, it was 8 million, I believe he was paid um, last year. Yeah, he produced like an 8 million um, dollar edge. The issue is going to be Miles Garrett's made him look good added to the box score, and we know what teams pay for. They overvalue sacks and those sort of numbers. So the market's looking a lot nearer 15 million on a one-year deal, which I think moves it out of a range where the Browns would want to pay that level of money. And it's it's Clowney we're talking about. What Two things we know of out of the three free agent years of Clowney, he takes his time and he goes to whoever pays the most. So this isn't one way you can get romantic. And yeah, he said he was happy to be back. Every player is happy to be back and not have to go through the absolute nightmare of uprooting yourself, your family, your, the network all around you. But it requires the amount of money you want to be paid to do that. You're not going to suddenly go, oh, I'll take another 8 million when someone's offering 15. And then the other thing is someone could offer him a long-term deal. The issue with having a Miles Garrett and it is a minor issue in the grand scheme of things, is it costs a lot of money when you extend him and you then need to pair him with a draft pick. So the long-term future opposite Miles Garrett is going to come through the draft. So if Clowney's getting a three-year deal at, say, 17.5 million for a multi-year rather than a one-year 15, that, that's really outside of the Browns' window of what they want to be paying. So it makes it, for me, unlikely that if he's getting a multi-year deal, probably not with the Browns. 
if it's 15 million for one year, I just can't see them fronting that amount of cash. Yeah, I also don't think it makes sense. I mean, if you're just constantly bringing in one-year guys, I get it's the kind of the Packers Saints approach where you're kicking the can down the road. But ultimately, if that's the approach you're having and you're having someone that's older that really doesn't have a development career, you're constantly going to be plugging that hole with somebody of that ilk. That's why it's so important to get somebody in, draft and develop somebody because you don't want to constantly be having to plug this one hole every single year with the, the guy that's best suited. You know, it's just from a salary camp standpoint, it doesn't make the most sense either. And use the benefit that is Miles Garrett. If a player is out there going, right, my market's not great in free agency, where can I go for one year to make myself look a lot better and then cash in with a big deal? Browns is probably right up the top of that list because playing opposite Miles Garrett makes you look better. Um, it, it's just naturally going to happen um, that way. And I, I think that could really factor in and benefit the Browns if you're looking at a cheaper one-year deal. And just to sort of throw out some names, I'm going to ignore the top two um, in free agency because face it, guys, um, if we're not going to pay the money for Clowney, we're not going to get Chandler Jones or uh, Von Miller. Um, looking in that sort of eight to 10 million range. Um, and these aren't all names I love. Um, I'll touch on the one I like and Ian will continue to poop on my dream. Um, but if we look at the guys, let me just open it. We've got people like Randy Gregory, Melvin Ingram, Hassan Reddick, Justin Houston, Jerry Hughes, Charles Harris, Anit Chanwusu. Um, those are the sort of guys um, that... Chanwusu, yeah. They they could fork out and the tail end some of those dudes about seven million, but that for me is much more the market they would like to go because we'll get onto the defensive tackle room, but they spent more on Clowney than the entire defensive tackle room last year. Um, so if they go and pay Clowney double, you're not fixing that defensive tackle room again. And what's the point of having great edges if you can just run straight through the middle of a team? Um, so I, I, I think there is, that's more likely. I think if we're bringing someone back, it's in the eight to 10 range. Um, and yeah, one of those names. And I, I think they could wait and be a game of, right, whoever falls to them, we then jump on whatever that name is. Who excites you most? I know Melvin Ingram was the one I liked and you've continued to text me throughout the playoffs telling me my hopes and dreams are dead. I think Ingram's just make it, made a name for himself in the playoffs because, I mean, a lot of people forget Melvin Ingram was very successful as a number two to Joey Bosa in uh, L.A. or San Diego at the time. And I understand the point because you're really your main selling point, and this is kind of what we were touching with Paul, is you have Miles Garrett and then nobody. Well, there's a lot of guys out there that would get appreciably better when they have Miles Garrett on the other side. I think one of the realistic possibilities of them bringing back Clowney is Clowney saw how easy the stats were. And listen, I, I get it. At the end of the day, we want players to love the, for the love of the game and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, they care about two things, their stats and their money. And I get it as fans. We want them to be diehard and live in Cleveland 24 seven. I mean, hell Odell bought a house in Columbia station guys and was trying to get the hell out of here after a year and a half. So, you know, you can keep all that stuff, keep the real estate agents happy. I get it. But at the end of the day, their selling point to Clowney is, is like, listen, you can come here. 
because the one thing Clowney was dealing with was people saying he's a bust. You know, you went all this time without stats. You'd had no sacks. It didn't matter if his run rushing stop grade was 99.9. If he had Trent Williams like PFF grades, it didn't matter because he had no stats. He had no sacks. He had no impact plays. His knee was hurt. He was a problem child in Seattle. He was a problem child in Tennessee. He comes here and he's a church mouse. And he puts up, what, eight, nine sacks. Now, all of a sudden, he's back up into that 15 to $18 million range. And everybody's like, oh, Clowney has found himself. Well, if he goes to a team where he's DN1, he's going to go right back to where he was before with maybe two, three, four sacks in the year. And was like, this is the worst free agent signing ever. That's the card you have to play. And if Clowney wants to come back, I think the Browns would welcome him with open arms. You know, the guy still is only 29 years old. Um, so he still fits and has an appreciable future, you know, in the next couple of years, multi-year that's tough because in all honesty, the free agent class, and I know you mentioned about Melvin Ingram and while Ingram's a good option, Ingram is 33 years old. You know, it's a guy where it's a kick the can down the, uh, on the road, again, but he needs kind of the guardrails in terms of the size. That's where I think a guy like Nwusu, probably not coming to Cleveland. I mean, he guy's only 240 pounds. And if you're going opposite of Garrett, you're going to want, we know that the Browns edges have to be 260 plus. So when you're looking at these guys in free agency, make sure you factor in the fact, I think Melvin Ingram's uh, 265. So he's above that. But, you know, you mentioned Nwusu and a few others guys, they don't fit that guardrail. And that's why I just don't see them coming. Even a guy like you mentioned, Charles Harris, which is kind of an attractive one, 6'3", 253. It's a little bit light in the loafers, but those are the type of guys maybe they'll bring in. They're coming off bad teams. Um, the one guy out of Seattle, I, I think what they're going to do, Jack, mainly is I think they're going to draft a guy. If they bring back Clowney, I think they draft a guy at 13. That's my advocation. And then they go out and grab a guy from another team that they think, you know, for example, a guy like Rasheen Green. Uh, he's an unrestricted free agent out of Seattle, 25 years old has not hit the peak of his career. You know, he, if you look at his grades and stuff like that, he's not going to blow you out of the water. Right. But he's a guy who's played a lot of football who, when you bring him in, in that third rotation, you know, another guy, maybe like uh, Steven means from Atlanta, since we seem to love getting our pass rushers from them. These are the type of guys you may have to pull out and say, okay, we can make something out of these guys. You know, I don't know if Granderson's going to stay in new Orleans or not, you know, but he's a guy that you could definitely see them maybe making a call. This is a guy that's 6'5", 250. Maybe they feel they can add a few pounds onto him. That's what you're going to have to find because if Clowney leaves, look for that size because everybody loves to rush that side. So that's kind of the theory on what to start looking for in your edges. That's why I like I like Karloftis. I like that strong physical point of attack guy. And if he falls a little bit in the draft, I think he's my ideal guy at 13. Yeah, a couple of dudes for potentially – defensive end number three um, because it wouldn't surprise me if they if it is someone like Clowney and they're playing the game of waiting in the draft it gives them an option these two guys and I don't think they'd sign them up straight away um, they're two guys that got injured with the Browns Olivier Vernon and then Tack McKinley I think they're both players that the Browns should reach out to have they no doubt do have strong communication with them because they're going to know their medicals better than any other team and just work with them and leave them as options because say they sign Clowney, who knows who they sign, that will still want that sort of backup option as a third edge because who knows who falls them at 13 and who knows if some crazy trade deal comes in. If someone's offering two firsts um, to move back to the mid-20s to take 13, 
we want to take that trade and not be sit there going, well, we need to take an edge now because we've got nothing on our roster. So I, I think they'd like to sit there and have those conversations because if one of those two players are available, then it might be something that they sign just after the draft. Um, why not bring one of them back? Um, if they're going to be healthy, cheap sort of, what if they um, signed the last two years? Um, Claiborne was 2.75 million. Tack was 4.25. So somewhere in that three to four range, um, load it up with some incentives. And why not bring one of those two dudes home and um, give them a shot to recover and go for it? Um, because in the same way that if they then draft someone, they don't need to do it. Um, but it just gives them more options and flexibility. For all those wondering why a team would do that, um, look no further than the Super Bowl uh, participating uh, Rams. How? When did they sign Eric Weddle? When did they bring him in? Uh, Two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? <laughs> yeah, I think it was just before the first playoff game they played in or second. Exactly. So what they did is McVay called him and said, hey, I'm going to need you. Stay ready. It's exactly what happens in the NFL. This guy was out enjoying working out, staying in shape and stuff like that. He probably had a copy of the defensive playbook. So just in case we need you, we're going to throw you a couple million bucks. So in terms of like an Olivier Vernon or attack McKinley, you know, obviously I don't know what OV he, I don't think he's ever come out and publicly said he wants to keep playing. So that's an unknown, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a great thing to always keep a guy in the back of your pocket that says, Hey, if you need to bring somebody in Olivier Vernon, I think he knows what to do. He's familiar with the system. He can come in and participate right away. So if we touch on draft, I, I think you're looking at first or second round. I would be surprised if we get to the sort of end of that third round and we're coming up on our fourth pick and haven't picked an edge. I just feel like they have to get somebody because even if they bring Clowney back for one year, you can't do it next year. Um, it's not... a a never ending option. So I, I, I think many people will come down to the discussion of wide receiver and edge are going to be our two biggest needs and which, what does it look best? Which one in the first second, because you have to look at it in tandem. You can't just look at, Hey, we can get a really good wide receiver at 13. Well, the edges kind of suck if we wait to a day two. So, um, I think that's going to be the option. And that might not be something we know And when the draft actually starts. Um, I think we'll see both both options getting mocked, especially if we don't pick up someone like Clowney, which is going to get a lot of Browns Twitter freaking out. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Now, the only way I could see the edge priority becoming less important, if they go out and sign three ends in free agency, you know, say they go out and sign Jadavian Clowney, maybe he does a two-year deal. So let's just say Clowney does a two-year deal. They bring in, say, Tyquan Lewis from Ohio State, and they say, I, I'm obviously partial to him because of his days at Ohio State. Say, here's your DN3, and then say they sign Rasheem Green. And I'm just picking some names. They sign two, I think. It so if they bring back Clowney and then sign two more, now all of a sudden I've got four. Now that priority at edge is saying, I've got two guys. Tyquan Lewis is 27. Rasheem Green is 25. They may look at it and say, I can get a 25-year-old guy and substitute him as my quote unquote top pick, then all of a sudden, maybe they say we're going to go two different positions. Maybe they go wide receiver in the first D tackle or something in the second. I don't know. But regardless, and by the way, also people watching senior bowl practices and trying to figure out who the Browns are going to draft because of the senior bowl is kind of, 
it's a fruitless endeavor. I know there's a lot of guys out there and that's kind of the takeaway. I'm telling you, I've been to the senior bowl. It is basically a hustle and bustle. Who's going to be available. It is a swing and dick syndrome type of atmosphere where a bunch of guys are down there shooting the shit. Like Paul, I think what we need to do is reach out to Ben Albright. Cause I think Albright might be a good person to have on. I, I saw him at Leeds. So that tells me that he's going to be number one in the gossip chain. So we need to see if we can get Albright on soon to kind of do maybe a, a Browns gossip recap. Cause I'm sure he heard some things, but yeah. So don't watch practice and sit there and go, man, you know, De- Devonte Wyatt was really good at the senior bowl. I think the Browns now want to take him trying to figure out who teams are going to draft based on guys at the senior bowl. I don't know. I think it more kind of validates teams, what they were thinking about certain players. Cause it's their first chance to kind of talk to them. I think the most important thing about the senior bowl is the interviews, not necessarily what they did in the practice. Now a guy like Demetri Felton obviously stood out enough last year where the Browns wanted to take a late round flyer on him. I think that type of stuff helps, but yeah, to your point, Jack, I think edge is going to be first or second round for sure. Unless they just make a nice splash in free agency and you know, make something happen. I mean, crazier things have happened. Who knows? Maybe Chandler Jones comes to Cleveland. Who knows? Paul, what do you got? Here's a question for you guys. Is defensive end more important? Because we've got Miles Garrett as one person, but we've got no one as defensive tackle. Do we draft a defensive tackle first round? Wide receiver or defensive end? I, I just, I don't see them valuing a defensive tackle as highly as an edge. Um, just purely from position because, yeah, you. I think I'd make the case that I'd rather have Aaron Donald than Miles Garrett. If you gave me the option and you said, hey, these two dudes, they're coming out, you know their career path, who would you rather have? I I would genuinely take Aaron Donald. I think he's probably the best um, footballer in the NFL in terms of like pure skill and talent. But I wouldn't go chasing a defensive tackle in the first round with a hope they become Aaron Donald. Whereas getting an edge that's going to be really good is an easier thing to chase. Um, And it's just a more valuable position unless you get Aaron Donald. Yeah, that, and I think that Paul, to your point, I think that you saw here at the senior bowl, you know, the D tackle class is going to be pretty decent. You know, there's a bunch of guys that have popped up, whether it's from Georgia or Oklahoma or, you know, just guys like that. So, I think if the Browns are going to address the D tackle position, they really need to do it with young guys. Um, so I think maybe some developmental guys, I would see the earliest they consider taking a D tackle as a second round. And then maybe in some case they drop down and pick up an extra second round pick, or we could see kind of that third round where they, you know, they've already taken Jordan Elliott in the third round. They've taken a couple D tackles and stuff in those later picks. I could see that being kind of more of a realistic possibility. Another one on the edge room. I genuinely think that Quezzy pick at the end of the third round could be a second edge for the Browns. Um, I would not be surprised if they... Double dip? Say they go... um, They've obviously got a Garrett. Say it's Randy Gregory on a one-year deal. He's not coming to Cleveland. Just throwing that out. He's got a major... I don't don't care who it is. Just somebody. Um, A free agent, not Clowney, but... just a solid free agent. A tier um, two. Yeah. Then say it's pick 13. I, I could see as early as that sort of quasi pick. They go, let's go get another one. We've already spoke to Tack. Tack's going to be ready for week four. Um, he's going to sign if we get to the end of the draft. 
we've sort of flashed out a deal, but we've said to him, look, if the draft falls our way, we're going to, we won't bring you back. We'll give you a good testimony. We'll, we'll send the medicals over to another team so they feel confident. Um, or we don't. And then you've obviously got the two guys in like Joe Jackson and Port Augustine who can just uh, come in and be the practice squad guys. Sorry, Curtis Weaver, not Port Augustine. Um, be the practice squad guys and just compete if you need them to. Uh, and I double dipping would make great sense because who knows? You might be sat there in a year's time and the third round pick's playing better than the first round pick. Doesn't matter. Does not bother me. If you're sat there going, hey, they're basically the same. Give Miles Garrett 80% of the snaps. Give each of them to 60% and you're in a really good position because some of them will duck and dive inside. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they like players that we see a double dip as early as that fourth pick we've got. Yeah, Jack. I mean, they said it last year. The Browns talked about their quote-unquote NASCAR package, right, where they had Clowney, Garrett, and Pack, which the reason they were able to go slightly deficient in the D-tackle room is because of the depth in the edge room. So if, for example, you say a guy like Karloftis is there in um, – in at 13 and you're like, you know what? This guy is a multi-skilled. Uh, he will say he sets the edge well as a rusher right now, but can also uh, stop the run. Right. So what happens is first round talents generally have multi-tools. They, they're usually two or three trick ponies, so to say with what they can do as you fall later in the draft. Now you're starting to get into guys that do one thing really good. Right. So now all of a sudden, maybe in the third round, there's a guy there that they like who is really good at one thing. And they say, you know what? That's something we can teach. So he right now can't do X, but he can do Y really well. So they draft him in the third round and now focus on saying, do this really well. This is what we're going to put you in as DN4. You know, maybe it's uh, second and five and you want to stop the run. So you put him in there, whatever. I mean, whatever package Joe Woods wants to go with. But then you teach him, hey, we're going to build you a complimentary pass rush moves, right? Because I think what happens to your point, Jack, is you're right. The Browns double dipping now gives them build. And the nice part is, everyone, we're going to know in a month. You know, when the league year starts off and we see what the Browns plan in free agency is, if they go out and sign two wide receivers and don't sign an edge in free agency, you kind of know where they're going to go. They sign two edges and don't sign a wide receiver, you kind of know which way they're going to go. So this is stuff will all spell itself out. No, and I, I think that's basically it. Free agency is going to give us a massive sign of what's to come. Um, I would say Clowney's unlikely. I'd say there's about a 40% chance that he's back with the Browns just because a player on the roster is much more likely to re-sign the player off it. But I just struggle to see that the route, unless his market is just a lot smaller than I thought. I, I will genuinely be shocked if he signs a 15 million deal. How... How many edges do you think they have on the roster next year? Do you think they go with four or do you think they add that fifth? I, I, they've gone four and four. Um, they've gone eight in the room both of the last two years. So I, I genuinely think we'll see um, eight again. Um, could it be that the defensive tackle is that much of a shambles that they carry three? I just can't see them carrying three. I, I, I think we're going to look at eight across the defensive line and so four and four. Yeah, I think if they bring Clowney back. Clowney is the guy that double dips in that edge slash tackle dabble. So I think Malik Jackson if, as well. Yeah. So I think if you have, well, he's more of that big bodied edge, that three tech. Um, I think Clowney kind of more is that five, three where Malik can kind of be that one, three. So 
Yeah, I think if they bring Clowney back, they're going to run. They can maybe run up to five edges. But I think if he doesn't come back, you're going to go back to your four, four and four. It just makes the most sense, especially if they decide to keep some depth on the secondary. Yeah, I, I love the idea of the the extra edge um, and go nine. But if you're not going to use it, then they seem to be really keen on the six linebackers um, purely because of the special teams aspect, which makes sense. Well, I'll give you a third round late target. Paul, this is this one's for you. So in the draft, there's a defensive edge. He's out of UAB. He's six foot seven, 270 pounds. And he has the best last name in all of the world. And that's right. And ironically enough, he shares the first name as my brother. So my younger brother is named as Alex Wright. Well, there is a defensive edge out of UAB named Alex Wright. So if the Browns draft Alex Wright, the six foot seven, 270 pounder, there you go. But there's a guy to look at in the third round. Paul, if the Browns draft Alex Wright, we're having an Alex Wright party. Excellent. Shout, what shout out to my brother, your brother's Alex Wright. favorite drink? Uh, he's a single malt guy. He's a single malt guy. And shout out. He's got uh, he's got his little one on the way coming in uh, May. Congratulations. Maybe the Browns draft Alex Wright on the day Jimmy Wright gets born. It's a girl, so it'd be Jamina Wright. Mm, awkward. <laughs> we'll have to re-edit that bit out, by the way. No, it stays. We love stays. it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Any yeah. last thoughts on the edge room before we roll on? Go get as many as possible. <laughs> uh, here we go. Here's, here's a question, guys. We've got one person already going to be locked on. We've got three three positions to fill. Forget practice squad. Where do you think they're going to come from? One draft, one free agent, one undrafted free I'm agent. I'm going two draft, one free agency. I'm going to go two free agents, one draft. It's, I'm, it's thinking of, I'm thinking of sequencing. That's why I go two draft, one free agency. Because, Jack, you said it earlier. Now I got two shots to get one of the next Miles Garrett's out of there. No, hundred percent. I like that route. I just, if you want any hope from getting Clowney back, I think you have to sign another free agent because if he's still playing around five, six days into free agency before signing a deal, well, you you can't you can't do that and only have um, him as your main option because it suddenly all hits the wall if he gets offered an extra couple of million because he'll chase the money. Um, so I think I, I could see a, a route where they look at those names we spoke about in the eight to 10 range and they just wait two, three days and see what falls down to them and then goes for someone cheaper. Um, or it could easily be the route that they bring back a tackle or somebody um, and they just don't find the guy they like in the draft or there's other needs, at other positions. I think you're right. I think they go to Clowney and say, dude, we got to know. What do you shit or get off the pot, buddy? You got to figure it out because as we know, Part of these guardrails, baby. That's where it's at. But no, any final thoughts? Yeah, while we're on the podcast, let's talk some brown news. What does everyone feel about Hugh Jackson's comments on the weekend? Hugh Jackson's just going into meltdown. Um, Quite frankly, it's been pretty embarrassing. Every time he's come out with something, he's then had to row back from it. Um, The the guy's just a joke. Um, And I, I don't think there's any other way of saying that. Um, these embarrassments of the Browns and quite frankly if I'm Brian Flores I'm pretty embarrassed um, because he was keen to get other coaches involved probably wasn't hoping Hugh Jackson was one of them 
as a guy who's always been a fan of Hugh Jackson, I don't think he did himself any favors. And I get what he was saying, and I was talking about this a little bit pre-show. I think he conflated two things and thought this is a good chance to insert himself into a conversation where he may have been best to just kind of sit this one out. I get he's got gripes and you know issues where the Browns brought him in and effectively ended his NFL coaching career. I get it. That would probably frustrate me. I just think the way he handled it was pretty bad. So if I'm his agent and I'm in his PR thing, I probably would reevaluate my strategy because the one you've taken over the last 10 days has been bad, real bad. And then obviously, since you said Brown's news, I'm going to throw a guy out there called Sashi Brown. The the Lord, our savior, has uh, joined our analytical rivals. Here. There's there's two teams for a long time that's been battling for the smartest team in the NFL, and uh, that is the Ravens and the Browns. Um, if you look at like the annual ESPN rankings, they're constantly one and two, um, battling back and forth. And um, it's a real shame. Hey, if they hire McDermott rather than um, Hugh, he could still be the GM. He could be the principal and have got elevated. Um, and then Andrew Berry's the GM now. Um, all of that stuff could have happened. Who knows? But um, hey, Hugh screwed that. Uh, Hugh and Jimmy screwed that one up. Listen, I think we know that it's not like Sashi Brown's going to go to the Ravens and A2 Brute to Sashi, but I think he'll do well over there. Him and Ozzie Newsome, obviously, Ozzie um, has stepped down and kind of left uh, Eric DaCosta in charge of things, but Ozzie still has his kind of finger. So I'm sure he got good reviews from the Browns and said, hey, this is a guy from a business strategy standpoint. Do you need to execute things? You know, Lamar Jackson, you know, they're going into this roster situation. Do they extend him? Do they not? Having a voice like Sashi Brown in that front office just does him a lot of good. I just hope that he is a, I hope the Browns are like his kryptonite and it's just the one thing the Browns just constantly keep taking them down. Sounds good to me. Mm. Any final thoughts, Paul? Well, you wouldn't see John Terry joining Arsenal, would you? That's what I've got to say. Yeah, but it wasn't like he turned his back on the Browns. The Browns screwed him and, um, he had to get a job somewhere. He loves. I'm sure there's been some crosses over where if we go to the EPL, I'm sure a couple of guys have dabbled in the uh, double dip pool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. But, you know, you wouldn't expect the saviour, the messiah, to move and join one of your competitors. He's not the messiah. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> yeah, so... um. The legend of Sashi Brown is no longer a legend, I'm not afraid to say. He joined the dark side. There was another 30 teams he could have joined. I, I oh, on that you. note, go Browns. Enough suck. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns. <laughs>